Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Welcome to Polycarp's Paradigm. My name is Eric Robinson. I'm so glad you are listening to this podcast today. In my first episode, it was just a brief introduction about why I named Polycarp's Paradigm, Polycarp's Paradigm, and I shared very brief tidbits of my story. In the second podcast, I shared uh, the martyrdom of St. Polycarp from the original source. And today, I thought I'd go back to myself for just a second so you guys can get to know me a little bit better. Uh, so here's my story, my especially focused on my spiritual journey. So just wanted to, once again, let you guys get some insight onto who I am. So my name, once again, is Eric Robinson. And I was born a long time ago at a very young age. Uh, <laughs> I'm 31 years old. So I was born 31 years ago and have an awesome mom and dad and two older sisters. My mom and dad met because my dad was a pilot and my mom was a flight attendant. So pretty romantic, pretty awesome. By the time I was born, I'm the third child, um, the youngest. And my mom had already uh, left being a flight attendant and was a full-time mom and grew up. I was born in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas and uh, lived for about four years in Texas, and then moved up to Michigan because my dad was a pilot at the time for Northwest Airlines, which had a base in Michigan, and he didn't want to commute as much, so we moved back up to Michigan. And it was in Michigan, actually, when I was in in about first grade, when I first remember my sister, my oldest sister, Kelly, telling me about Jesus. And obviously my my parents had already been planting seeds in me for a while as far as seeds of the, the kingdom, but that was the first really memory I have of learning about Jesus was from my sister, and I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds good, I want to follow him, <laughs> and actually as a family, it was really cool, when I was in first grade, we all got baptized together, at the time we were going to an evangelical free Presbyterian church. And so I was baptized in the Presbyterian Church, but it was indeed a valid baptism because it was in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and with water. And so that's really where my relationship with Jesus Christ began. In my elementary school years, we actually moved to a different part of Michigan and went to a private Christian school in my elementary years. And I was actually pretty insecure about my faith. (laughs) A funny story, actually, I... Pretty much every time I would sit down to use the restroom, I would pray to Jesus that he would come into my heart because I was so insecure as to whether or not I was saved. And so I would pray the quote-unquote sinner's prayer every time I use the restroom pretty much. And um, yeah, but other than that insecurity, uh, things were going pretty well, I guess, in my relationship with Christ. I mean, I was young. I didn't really know what I was doing really. And uh, a few pivotal moments, actually, in third grade, I remember when uh, my mom, 
I, I quoted to my mom Philippians chapter 1, where Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And she was not very happy that I quoted that verse. Um, and I was like, no, mom, I really want to die. I want to be a martyr for, for Christ. And uh, so that kind of has stuck with me for quite some time, that, that mentality. And then also in third grade was when I have a memory of interacting with my my grandmother, who has since passed, uh, my grandmother, Nami. And Nami was Christian scientist, actually. So my mom grew up Christian scientist and didn't become a Christian till later when she met my dad, who wasn't really strong in his faith, but when they had my sister Kelly, uh, that's when they became more strong in their faith. But anyway, I had an interaction with my mom or my grandmother, who's Christian scientist, and I remember looking in her Bible and seeing the word sin crossed out like everywhere, like in the book of Romans I, is where I specifically remember sin being crossed out because Christian scientists, they don't believe in, in sin. And that was pretty crazy. So I remember having a conversation with my grandmother and my dad and myself, like all three of us were conversing about the how for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and trying to talk about uh, theology up to the wee hours of the the morning. No, uh, we were up late talking, but, uh, I just, that was a, a memory for me. But once again, I, you know, I wasn't, I, you know, I, I guess I was, I, you know, I had a faith obviously. Um, and even in fourth grade or maybe it was fifth grade, we went to my family and I, we went to England and there's video footage at speaker's corner, which is this really cool place where people can just, you know, converse with their ideas, they can share whatever they believe, religious beliefs, whatever, at this place, and it's kind of a free platform to do that. And there was a guy who held up a sign that said, Christian Atheist. And (laughs) there's video footage of me going up to this guy and saying like, well, I was just like really confused about this sign, Christian Atheist. And I was just like, well... You know, Mister, if if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. <laughs> and <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, I don't know about that." And then these two guys, English guys, brought me aside. I was like, "Oh, we're talking to the future Billy Graham here." I was like, "No, I'm just, I'm not that." But I don't know. It's just a funny funny story and like a weird situation. But anyway, we captured that on on camera, which was kind of cool. And. So I had a faith, right? But it was really fifth grade when I went to this summer camp called Canacock that that's when I feel like I had my first real kind of heart conversion experience, if you will. And what happened was that I saw a skit of the crucifixion, a live skit where I guess one of the camp counselors had been dressed up like Jesus. There were some soldiers, they were whipping him and uh, crucified him. Uh, in this skit and it was so moving so powerful that that night when we were in our little devotional time as a group as a cabin I was like you know I I don't just want this faith this Christian faith to be my parents faith I I want to follow Jesus like he did that for me I want to follow him with all that I have and I remember coming home to my parents and telling them like hey I'm, I'm gonna be more serious about following Jesus and so that was a very pivotal moment, I would say, in my life. And that was in fifth grade, uh, so pretty early on. 
in middle school, uh, actually after that camp experience in sixth grade, I moved from Michigan back to Texas and um, lived again in the Dallas-Fort Worth area really since that time uh, from sixth grade on till I went to college. And those were very formative years as well. In middle school, you know, I had my, my struggles with with sin and, and all of that. Um, obviously still struggle with sin. Uh, that's kind of a lifelong struggle there that gradually growing in holiness. But in middle school, I kept going back to that, that camp. I, I went away from the camp in Missouri and went to Kanakuk, Colorado, which subsequently became Camp Kivu, which now does not exist. But Nonetheless, I went to Kanakut, Colorado, and that had a huge impact on me because that was the first time when they really encouraged reading the scriptures like on your own, like in large chunks. So they really were emphasizing reading the scriptures in a year, the whole Bible in one year. And that was around eighth grade when I remember that that was really emphasized and that really hit me. I remember the director saying, you know, when he got to heaven, he didn't want God to say, like, you read all these great books, but you, you didn't read my word. And, you know, that, that hit me. And so I was like, okay, I want to, you know, I want to know Jesus more. I want to know God. And so I'm going to, I'm going to read the scriptures. And I read the scripture, scriptures that year, uh, did it in a year, and then did it another year. And both of those years, it was kind of painful. Didn't really enjoy it at all, actually. <laughs> And it wasn't until the third year where I was like, oh my gosh, this is really good stuff. And then reading the scriptures became a joy since then. So that was really cool. And it just showed me like, okay, maybe I just need to be disciplined. And discipline sort of leads to that joy. And so that was pretty powerful. And my love for the scriptures has just really grown uh, since that time. Another thing that they emphasized was having good accountability in your life to combat sin. And so, um, you know, one one of my best friends to this day was best. I've been best friends with him since sixth grade. Uh, shout out to Jono, and um, you know him along with my other best friend um, in that we became best friends in high school, Doctor Steen. Uh, we we kind of formed an accountability group, so to speak, and that was a really powerful powerful thing as well. Keeping each other accountable and growing in our love for God together. And so I, I, and I grew up, so, so growing up, I went to, yeah, so I was baptized in that Presbyterian church. We went to various E-free churches uh, and evangelical churches in my uh, elementary years. Then we, when we moved to Texas, we actually went to this mega church. I won't mention the name, um, but that mega church, you know, was interesting. It kind of started out okay. But then gradually over time, the pastor seemed to only give sermons either on sex or tithing. And uh, it, it was trying to be a seeker-friendly church, which I, to this day, I'm like, how, does, how is talking about money, like tithing, how is that seeker-friendly at all? Like, join our church, give us money, you know? <laughs> and But anyway, nonetheless, my main formation spiritually came from camp, not from church, actually not from that mega church. Um, not to say I didn't learn things and didn't have fun. Like we had a rock climbing wall and everything. So I had fun there. Uh, but my main spiritual influence was, was camp. And so to this day, camp holds a very special, special place in my heart. 
in high school, I started exploring some other churches as well. We went to a Baptist church, and then I went to the Methodist youth group. So I kind of did three different things in high school, the mega church, the, the Baptist church, and the Methodist church. And, uh, you know, the first time I really remember hearing God's voice and really feeling his presence was actually my senior year of high school. Um, and this is kind of cool. So I was debating where to go to college. It was I narrowed it down between the Air Force Academy, Baylor, and the University of Texas at Austin. And I had just vis- visited UT the week before. This was in January of my, of my senior year. And I still didn't know. I I had already gotten into the Air Force Academy, uh, which is nice because that's free, you know, so that's nice. And then Baylor was offering me good scholarships. That was cool. And then UT, um, uh, I was also given like a ROTC scholarship because I was planning on joining the Air Force. I didn't end up doing that, but I did do the ROTC for a year. So anyway, those were my options. And everyone really thought I was going to choose the Air Force Academy. And heck, I mean, I thought that. And I was just praying one night to God, like, Lord, I don't know where you want me to go. I mean, I see pros and cons in all these schools, so please, Lord, tell me. And as I closed my eyes, I, I saw UT flash before my, my, my mind's eye, so to speak. And then this warm presence came over me. And I was like, okay, that's where I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to go to UT. So that's where I went. I went to UT and... It was really an amazing experience. Glad I went. I joined a Christian fraternity called Bucks Brothers Under Christ and really grew uh, more in in love with Christ uh, at that time. About 80% of the Bucks guys in Austin go to, or at least at the time, went to this church called the Austin Stone Community Church, which is a Reformed Baptist church, uh, similar to the Village Church up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so when I would, would go back home to DFW, I would go to the village, usually. Uh, but nonetheless, when I was in Austin, I went to the Austin Stone Community Church, helped out in their kids' skit program with some really funny people. It was awesome. I also led a missional community with one of my roommates at one time. And so I was growing there and enjoying that. And And that was the first time I actually really um, met... Catholic friends. I actually did have a friend in elementary school who was Catholic, and I did go to Mass with him one time. I don't remember the Mass, but I do remember the jelly donuts afterwards. Uh, so I don't really count that as my first experience at Mass, because <laughs> I don't really remember it. But anyway, in, in college, I had these two Catholic friends, and I would argue with them about things like uh, contraception and, and all these other things that the Catholic Church, uh, you know, teaches against contraception. I was like for it and I didn't understand that Mary stuff and they gave me some CDs, but it didn't really click and I wasn't that interested. And so, I mean, definitely they planted some seeds in me, but my goodness, uh, that it was more of like a fun debate sort of thing with those two guys. And they were, they're great guys and very courteous to me. And, uh, and anyway, I was growing in, like I said, my relationship with Christ. I would also go on mission trips, and I ended up also serving at the camp that I had grown up being a, a camper at, and I became a camp counselor. And first year there, being a camp counselor, I learned a lot. Uh, the second year was a very, once again, a pivotal year in my, 
I guess, spiritual journey. One of my best friends to this day, uh, shout out to Colorado Rocky Lowe. Yes, that is his name. Rocky, uh, he, I, I really feel like he, that summer was the first man to really speak life into, into me, like prophetically, like stamping my identity in Christ. And so we were co-counselors together and we had a blast, lots of funny stories I could tell. Maybe one day I will. And, uh, <laughs> and, but he really encouraged me and spoke, spoke really uh, profoundly into my life spiritually about my identity in Christ. And we ended up randomly meeting this guy from Nepal who was in the Durango area working at a Nepalese restaurant. And Rocky comes back to the academy after he meets this guy. I was like, Eric, God's calling me to Nepal. And I was like, okay. And he was like, you want to come? And I was like, well, maybe. Uh, I don't know about that. And so I really was praying to God about that. I met this guy as well. And and this was a, man, this led to like a several month wrestle with God. Because this is going to sound silly maybe, but the trip was going to be over Christmas time. And I had never missed Christmas with my family, like ever. And it was about November of that year. Um, it was 2009, November 2009, when I was like, okay, um, Lord, I I don't know, you know, what do you want me to do? And really clearly one day at church at the Austin Stone, there were, um, I don't even know what the sermon was, but the worship music really hit me and, and I felt like the Lord was telling me like who, you know, what he says in the gospels, if Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, well, I give up everything, Lord, to you. I give up my father, my mother, and everything that I have. I want to follow you. And so I said yes to that Nepal trip, which was kind of that that leap of faith. Just to rewind just a little bit, before that camping experience... One of my roommates and I, um, we both felt this desire to grow more in our knowledge of the Holy Spirit. So we felt like we we knew the Father pretty well from our growing up experience and Jesus Christ as well. But we were like, who's this Holy Spirit guy? And so that summer meeting Rocky really enlivened in me like a desire to know the Holy Spirit more. And so that was kind of planted in me. And so that kind of prepared me, I guess, to make more of this leap of faith uh, to that Nepal trip. And over that Nepal trip, this was the very first time I ever prayed for someone to be healed and even taught on on that with Rocky on teaching people how to pray for the sick, that they would be healed. And, um, you know, I think we saw some minor miracles there, maybe a few ankle injuries that were healed and what and whatnot. Later on that next semester, uh, I would also be praying for some people on campus. And I did see a woman healed of her knee was healed, which was kind of cool. Uh, I prayed for her, and then she like raised her cane up. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm better, I'm better. That was pretty cool. So that was the first time I really experienced like the quote-unquote charismatic gifts of the Spirit. And um, there was also a powerful moment on that trip. I was just having a really rough day, and and uh, I, I just, Rocky was like, hey man, let me pray for you. And I was like, okay. And he was like, you know, you just need to know the Father's love for you. And, and he, as he was praying over me, I got this vision of 
the Heavenly Father just taking me by the hand around the UT campus and then like a bunch of his children just coming to the Father. And it was a really powerful vision. And that kind of, to this day, I have a lot of just visions with uh, with God, just like I imagine things with the Father, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. And so that was kind of the first time that I had really exercised my imagination in that way to kind of have a an encounter with God. So that was kind of a cool thing. I get back from that trip, and I really felt like the Lord was leading me to leave the Austin Stone at that time and to start a house church, actually, which now... <laughs> that I'm Catholic is kind of a funny thing because that's like the least traditional form of church that you could possibly imagine. I mean, uh, no, no liturgy really, or and and no authority whatsoever as far as like structurally and and. Uh, but anyway, felt like that's what the Lord wanted me to do at the time, and and so I got back from that trip and I prayed to the Lord. I was like, Lord, you know, if you want me to do this, I pray that you would raise up a girl who would also like want to make disciples and, and all of that and lead this house church together. And not kidding, that day I got a Facebook message from this girl named Megan. And Megan was like, hey, Eric, my friend Lauren and I just got back from India. And we read your post on Facebook about your story, your trip to Nepal, which I'd only posted because one of my camp uh, counselor friends had said, hey, Eric, you should post about the trip. And I was like, okay. So I posted about the trip. She, she messages me and says, hey, Eric, Lauren and I saw that message on Facebook or saw your note on Facebook about Nepal. And we actually were doing a very similar thing in India at the same time. And our heart also burns to make disciples. Let's get together. I was like, okay, wow. And I sat down with both of them and they said, yeah, we want to bring back the fire that we saw in India and and bring it to UT. And I was like, all right, that's great. And so me and one of my friends, Martin, at the time, uh, we went with these girls to the campus house of prayer. And they were like, hey, do you want to pray with us? And uh, I was like, sure. They were like, well, do you want to pray with us for like two hours a night every night? And I was like, What? <laughs> I've never prayed more than like 10 minutes in my life. What are you talking about? Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. I don't know if I'll commit to that. But but anyway, I did go and it was amazing. I swear two hours did feel like 10 minutes because when we started praying, I just felt once again, that same warm presence that came over me when I was asking the Lord about colleges came over me even more profoundly in that prayer room. And I was just on the floor in the presence of God, enjoying him and just like, wow, this is amazing. And, uh, and that was the first time too, there were some other girls there, um, who were praying in tongues. And I was like, what? That sounds like French or that sounds different. And she obviously, she didn't know French. And so it was kind of a crazy experience. I was like, what? What have I got myself into here? But I liked it because I loved the, I just felt the Spirit's presence. So I was like, okay, this is cool. And um, that's really, instead of just starting a house church right away, we just kind of started a prayer group where we, every night, we would just get together and pray. And the cool thing was that the sins that I had been struggling with for so long, from really middle school through high school and college, were were disappearing 
And I was really encountering God in a very powerful and personal way, which was profound. And we started seeing miracles. Megan's brother became a follower of Christ miraculously. Like that was a crazy story in itself. And I was praying to God for opportunities to disciple as well as be discipled. And this guy named Aaron moved from Las Vegas and he ended up being kind of a coordinator over house churches, over colleges at the time. And he discipled me as I then discipled Megan's brother, Michael, and another guy from Bucks who wanted to be discipled. And so it was kind of a cool, cool time in my spiritual journey. And as I was growing in these gifts, you know, praying for people to be healed, seeing them healed, um, those other gifts that I was experiencing and seeing, like the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy and all that, I was like, wow, there's so much more uh, to this whole Christian thing that I had realized. And that that kind of desire I had almost the year before of wanting to grow more in my knowledge of the Holy Spirit felt like it was coming to fruition there. But as you know, uh, Satan does not like when we grow in holiness or grow in our love for God. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to share the whole story of what happens next right now. I may end up sharing it at a later time. But all, all this to say is I was growing, but then um, basically was heavily attacked by, by Satan. And that really destroyed me uh, for a time. Like, I was I was destroyed. Um, but the Lord was faithful and delivered me, and gradually, um, He delivered me from uh, Satan and all of that, and then gradually I was healing from what had happened. And that was pretty earth-shaking. Once again, maybe I'll share that in more detail. I mean, that alone is like a 45-minute story. So, spare you the details there. All that to say is after that event, after that happened... I was like, okay, I'm about to graduate college. I just experienced crazy awesome things from the Holy Spirit. I just got heavily attacked by the enemy. I need a year to just like figure some stuff out. And so after I graduated, I ended up doing a discipleship training school at Antioch Community Church in Waco um, with my friend Rocky, which was kind of cool. Along with like, I don't know, there's probably 50 other students there. And I learned about the school from uh, my friend Joe and then also my friend Rocky and just, uh, you know, and that could be a a way of learning more about the Holy Spirit and about how to like live into what I was experiencing. And uh, it really was hoping for clarity as far as like my vocation in life from that school. I didn't get that, but I really appreciated the school. Here's the main thing that I appreciate from the school is they emphasized over and above all the miraculous and charismatic gifts of the Spirit. They emphasized intimacy with Jesus Christ, intimate friendship with the Lord. And that's something that struck me so much. And I was, I, I knew that, you know, growing up as an evangelical Protestant, it was all about personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But they really took that to a whole new level, I felt like. And, and really, I guess my experience and my growth in that It just it it was just amazing during that that time and uh, in the middle of that school I had um, some difficulties um, and ended up crying a lot actually and we I remember one day that was really powerful there was a group of uh, three of us and um, 
one of my friends who's in the group who actually looked like, I guess you could say, the American version of Jesus. He had long hair and a beard, piercing eyes, and I was just weeping because he was like, Eric, you know, how do you view the father right now? I was like, honestly, kind of like as a slave driver. And I just have to do, I just have to hear his voice and I have to do what he says. I had a lot of problems like with hearing God's voice. I, you know, that's a sore subject for me and I will, you know, it's a good thing to hear God's voice, but it can be an obsession that can be unhealthy. Uh, so anyway, um, that's a side note that maybe we can talk about that later too. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. But anyway, he, this friend of mine he, who looked like Jesus was like, Hey Eric, God does not call you a slave, but he calls you his friend. And when he said that, when he said, God calls me a friend, I like broke down weeping even more and was just, wow, I was amazed. I, that hit me on a whole new level. And this friendship with Jesus, this friendship with God, like he would call me a friend, like what? That's amazing. And wow, that really hit home with me. And see that experience and that emphasis of that school on intimacy with Jesus Christ really started setting foundations for my journey into the Catholic Church, though at the time I would have thought, no way, uh, no way would that happen. But anyway, I, I, I uh, ended up graduating from that discipleship school, it was like a nine-month school, uh, moved back home to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and um, and I was searching for a job at the time, and I instead of going to church on Sundays, because I basically, during that discipleship training school, I had lived at that church, uh, volunteering, uh, going to the school, you know, doing all these things, uh, at one point leading a life group there before my troubles <laughs> halfway through. And actually at the end of the school, I, I, I left pretty in a depressed state, honestly, even despite that awesome revelation with friendship with Jesus. Um, and you know, was kind of distraught, didn't know where to go in life, really. So that's why I moved back home. A friend of mine actually did say uh, prophetically to me, he's like, Eric, don't worry about the job. Like, God will give you something that will really make you come alive and will be perfect for you for this next season. And sure enough, three months later, <laughs> it took three months, yes. Three months later, uh, the Lord did provide an awesome job, which I um, just recently left that job, actually. So I was there for about six and a half years. And it was a really great experience. But anyway, it was during that time where I started questioning, you know, why why should I go to church? Um, what, you know, I have this intimacy with Jesus now, this friendship. Like, why go to church? And so on Sundays, instead of going to church, like the average evangelical Protestant American would, I just spent time with God at a pond near my parents' house. And it was at the pond where I started memorizing scripture and really um, reading the scriptures and spending time with the Lord and kind of wrestling with him and just saying, hey, Lord, like, why, yeah, why should I go to church? You know, and what, what is this Christian life all about anyway? And I would read things. I was reading First uh, Peter at the time, going through that, and it says in First Peter 5, submit to your elders. You who are younger, submit to your elders. And I was like, oh gosh, who are my elders? 
who am I submitted to? So that was a little seed of uncomfortableness uh, that the Lord had for me. And, um, and also, I was wrestling, once again, with these ideas. So I said, you know, if church is just about like listening to some guy's sermon, well, I can podcast that. If it's about, you know, you know worship music, well, I can listen to that on my iPod as well. If it's about Christian community, I already have that. I have that in my daily routine, my daily life. So why should I go to church? And at that moment, in my mind's eye, I saw the word communion. I was like, oh, that's weird. So that kind of, I hid that in my heart for about a year. And I kept going. Every once in a while, I'd go with my friends to church, like the village or something like that. Um, but for the most part, I would just go to the pond and spend time with God. And it wasn't until that next spring, let's see, that was uh, spring of 2013, where um, I met a friend, and I had met him before actually, but became friends with a guy named Ethan. And Ethan had just finished Protestant seminary. Uh, it was a reformed seminary up there. Uh, it's called Redeemer. That's what it was. It's called Redeemer Seminary. And he actually used to be a section leader at Antioch at that charismatic non-denominational church that I had done my discipleship training school. And come to find out, during his studies, he had become Anglican. I was like, that's weird. And then, furthermore, he was studying the early church fathers and their writings at the time. And that's when, as I referenced in my intro, he said to me, Hey, Eric. I know that your heart desires to be part of the early church, but guess what? I found it. It still exists. I was like, what? What do you mean? And, you know, that was my heart to go back to the early church. That's why I wanted to do house church. That's even why I wanted to do the discipleship training school. I wanted to live in the book of Acts. Like, that was it. Like, I want to be in all of that. And he described to me apostolic succession, how, you know, Jesus appointed the apostles and it didn't just die there. He, they actually did what Jesus told them. They made disciples of all nations, and they appointed successors. And we actually had their writings and got introduced to St. Polycarp, St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Justin Martyr, St. Irenaeus, uh, St. Clement of Rome. And then going on from there and reading their writings was starting to stir something very profound to me because I would read things like uh, Ignatius of Antioch said, you need to submit to the bishop as if he's Jesus Christ in your midst. I was like, oh gosh, who's my bishop? Similar to the reading when I had that, who who's my elder, you know, back when I was at the pond, you know, my gosh, I'm not submitted to anyone right now. <laughs> I'm kind of my own authority here. And, um, and then I would read things about the Eucharist and I was like, Eucharist, what? And I had heard that word from my Catholic friends, I think, from one of the CDs that they gave me. But that didn't really click at the time. So this was really this, the first time I really heard the word Eucharist, if you know what I mean. And and so I looked into that, and I was like, oh gosh, this is profound. And and I found out that the early church centered their whole worship on the Eucharist. Especially if you look at St. Justin Martyr's writings, oh my gosh. And St. Ignatius of Antioch, for that matter, who was a disciple of the Apostle John. And John's Gospel, of course, 
we have that Eucharistic bread of life discourse in John chapter 6, which is so powerful, where Jesus says, you have to eat of my flesh or and drink of my blood or else you have no life in you. And I was like, oh gosh, well, <laughs> haven't done that. Um, this is awkward. But anyway, it was a gradual journey from there. And my friend also encouraged me to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, so I read that. And that's really what blew me away. Um, here's here's one personal touch to the catechism that blew me away uh, that really has nothing to do with the catechism necessarily. It has more of a personal revelation. But when I was at the discipleship training school at Antioch, before my really hard trial, I was actually right on the precipice of that hard trial I was going going to go through halfway through. Um, I was up all night and I was like, Lord, please just tell me what I'm called to do. <laughs> and felt like the Lord told me, you are to be a guardian of the good doctrine of the faith. And I was excited about that, but I had no idea what that meant, okay? And I was like, well, what is the good doctrine of the faith? And what does it mean to be a guardian of it? And those words kind of come from uh, 1 Timothy, to guard the doctrine of the faith. But this is the crazy thing. And when I first opened the catechism, literally the very first sentence of the catechism, the, in the preface by St. John Paul II, he says, guarding the deposit of faith is the mission which the, was entrusted to the church and in which she fulfills in every age. And that word guarding and deposit of faith like woke me up and I was like, oh, okay. Like this could be a personal, like that was a very personal encounter that was like kind of abnormal to me. Um, that kind of was like, okay, I better pay attention to this. And anyway, I did read the catechism and I was like, this is beautiful. And to all my listeners, I beg you, I urge you, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, read the catechism. It is awesome. Obviously, read the scriptures as well. (laughs) That's really important. And read the catechism. And the reason why it was so powerful to me is because I I didn't grow up anti-Catholic by any means. My parents are very nice people. They're not anti-Catholic. Um, in fact, now they are Catholic, which I can get into that later. But anyway, we didn't grow up with that. But the air you breathe, I guess, in Texas, especially in this Bible belt where it's very dominated by Protestantism, the air you breathe is just kind of naturally like, oh, Catholicism, that's that's all religious. We're about a relationship over here. You know, that's empty religion. We're you know, over here in the Protestant world, we're about a relationship. And in fact, I visited the Vatican a few years before this encounter when I was on my way to Albania. I had one day in Rome, and my dad and I, we actually visited the Vatican. I thought to myself, this just seems like an empty religion to me. That was my attitude. And that was back in 2011. And so fast forward to now 2013, I'm reading the Catechism, and I'm just blown away. I'm like, You know, the very first paragraph of the actual uh, teaching of the Catechism talks all about having a relationship with God. In fact, it's one of the most beautiful summaries of the gospel I have ever heard to this day. So definitely check that out. And all those prejudices and misconceptions I had, like, oh, they worship Mary, or they're a bunch of idolaters, or purgatory is not in the Bible, or... You know, you go down the list of they believe in, and you have to earn your salvation. You have to work your way up to God. All of those things. So many misconceptions as to what the Catholic Church means when it says 
that we're justified by faith and works, that we're, um, what, you know, what James says, you're not justified by faith alone. Uh, you know, what the church means by honoring Mary and, and praying to the saints, how they don't mean that they worship the saints. In fact, it says very explicitly in the catechism that we adore, we worship God and him alone, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the veneration, the honor that we give to Mary greatly fosters that adoration. And anyway, the list goes on and on of those things that were just huge for me to hear directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Like I wanted to hear, I want to know what does the church, what does the Catholic church actually teach? And once again, I was blown away. Um, every single section of the catechism blew me away. And so after that, and fast forward now, it's 2014, spring of 2014, and through my job, I actually did a lot of work with different churches and ministries, both Protestant and Catholic, and uh, you know all sorts of different denominations and, and ministries. And I actually met a priest. <laughs> this is funny. One of the priests I met, he was he's like from Poland, I think, and he just held nothing back from me. And I said, he was like, "What? Uh, what? Are you a Catholic?" And I said. <laughs> And I said, no, I'm I'm non-denominational. At the time, I was just doing my own thing at the pond. But I said, no, I'm non-denominational. He's like, oh, you mean non-committal? <laughs> and I was like, no, I just relationship with Jesus, you know, that sort of thing. But it was kind of an awkward, funny moment. Uh, I also interacted with another priest who was very kind to me. And I ended up telling him about what I was reading in the catechism. And he was like, Eric, you know, even if you're not 100% on becoming Catholic right now, you should at least go to RCIA. And I was like, what, what's that? <laughs> He's like, RCIA, that's Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. That's the, you need to take this class um, to go through that rite. And it's about a nine-month class that prepares you for becoming Catholic. And so <laughs> that's pretty intense because usually at my other churches, it was like, you just sign a card and you're good to go as far as becoming a member. So nine-month class on becoming Catholic, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll check it out. And I was just like, okay, I guess I'll go to my local parish. I was living in Grapevine at the time, and my local parish was St. Francis of Assisi in Grapevine, Texas. And I was like praying to God. I was like, Lord, please, please help like whoever the RCA director is to be like cool. <laughs> I just want to connect with this person. Ends up, I go in and meet this guy named Jared Zimmerer. Awesome, awesome guy. Probably one of the coolest guys ever. He was a bodybuilder. And and we connected right away. I'm obsessed with Lord of the Rings. He's maybe even more obsessed than me with Lord of the Rings, which is pretty hard to do. And, uh, and so we connected on that level as well. I had so many questions, but, you know, he was willing to answer them and kind of journey through uh, the RCA process with me. So he not only was my director, but he became my sponsor, which is really cool. And I really uh, cherish that relationship to this day. And I entered into RCA in August of 2014 thinking, and I was about, I, I was like, you know, I'm about 50-50 as to whether I'm going to become Catholic. Earlier that summer, actually in July, was the very first time I went to mass, if you don't count the jelly donuts experience in third grade. And um, so I went to mass for the first time and I was amazed because I grew up thinking that the Catholics don't believe in the Bible 
or they don't know the Bible at all, or, or that they lack Bible, you know, <laughs> went to mass and I felt like I was taking a bath in scripture. I mean, I heard more scripture in that mass than I ever heard in any Protestant church growing up. I mean, yes, like you have churches that'll take a passage like the village church and they'll take a passage, maybe Ephesians one, and then they'll go verse by verse and preach on it. But I'm talking just as far as like hearing actual verses of the scripture, hearing the Bible. I mean, there's an Old Testament reading. There's a Psalm that we sing together. There is an epistle or a letter from the New Testament and then a gospel reading. And then there's a homily that's supposed to be about tying all those readings together um, and what God is teaching us. And then the whole liturgy beyond that, the liturgy of the Eucharist is flooded with scriptures and scriptural references. And so, like I said, I was I was blown away. I was like, oh, well, guess that uh, <laughs> that was a misconception and a prejudice. Um, wow. So anyway, I ended up doing RCA, entering the RCA class in, in that August. Once again, I was about 50-50 as to whether I was going to join. One of the things that I did during that process, which I highly recommend if you're thinking about becoming Catholic or even if you're not thinking about it, you should at least check out RCIA because the first stage is called inquiry where you can ask a bunch of questions. And so just go to your local parish, go to inquiry. Um, It may start in August or it may be a year round thing. Like at my parents' uh, parish now, theirs is a year year round thing. But anyway, um, one thing that I did was I put together an email list actually of about 30 spiritual mentors that I'd had growing up. Um, All of them Protestant, of course, because that's how I grew up. Um, including that camp director and the assistant director, uh, my my own parents, uh, some other mentors of mine. <clears throat> and I would email them every week and just say, hey, here's what I'm learning. Am I like way off track here? Please, please pray for me also because I don't want to be led astray. Like I was so scared. Like, am I about to go into like some deep heresy, some like pagan junk, you know, like, please, like, I don't want to go astray. Like I've... You know, I just want to follow the truth. And much to my surprise, about 95% of them were like, Eric, actually, I think you're on the right track. Or, you know, that makes sense. Good point. Okay. And I was shocked. I was like, shouldn't you guys be rebuking me (laughs) for these things? One lady actually on the email list, God bless her, she did send me some links to, to show me that it was rooted in Constantine and he actually invented the Catholic Church which I looked at her documents thoroughly and found that they were inaccurate, uh, to say the least. Um, And part of the reason for that is because the Apostolic Fathers themselves proved that Constantine didn't build the church, okay? They were talking about bishops, priests, and deacons, and the Eucharist, and all of that way before. I mean, these are the disciples, the apostles that are talking about these things. I digress. Nonetheless, um... pretty much everyone except for her was on board. And I was like, okay. So my confidence kept growing. My percentage of likelihood of becoming Catholic kept rising. Okay. This is, this is getting crazy. But my biggest stumbling block was mother Mary. I think a lot of Protestants have issues with mother Mary. Um, a lot of times because we see in the scriptures, like, well, we don't see her very much first of all. And second of all, when we do see her in Jesus's ministry, it seems like Jesus even, treats her meanly like you know i don't care about my mothers and brothers these are my true mothers and brothers those who do the will of the father 
Well, lo and behold, who did the will of the Father par excellence but Mother Mary, who said, Be it done to me according to that word. So really he's highlighting there that Mary is not just his mom biologically that gives her importance, but it's actually that she is one like these that does the Father's will. That's what makes her special. And she does it actually more excellently than all the others. Obviously, Jesus does never, never dishonors his mom. That would be breaking the commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. Um, and then you see at the wedding feast of Cana, like, woman, what does this have to do with me? And, well, you come to find out that John, the apostle, is using the word woman very intentionally to go back as a reference to the ancient woman Eve and is declaring to the world that this new Eve is working with this new Adam to start this new creation. And and then it becomes even more apparent um, at the foot of the cross, right, where woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. And from that day, the Apostle John took her into his house. Um, <clears throat> all that to say is Mary was my biggest stumbling block. Now I absolutely love her. And in fact, in the month of May, I hope to really dive into more of stuff about Mary because traditionally in the Catholic Church, the month of May is dedicated to Mary. And so she is such a big stumbling block to other people, and she was to me, that I want to unpack even more in detail how I overcame that. One of the biggest things was learning this method of reading scripture called typology, which is seeing the, um, basically what St. Augustine says, you know, the New Testament is concealed in the Old, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New. So the Old Testament figures and events and and all of that are prefigurations or, or types for their New Testament fulfillment. So Jesus is the type of Adam. He's the new Adam. Mary is the type of Eve. She's the new Eve. And and so learning about that really overcame that for me. My my sponsor, Jared, gave me this like apologetics book, a series of apologetics books actually, but one in particular about Mary that showed me where she was biblically because that was really important to me. I needed to know that this Mary stuff wasn't just made up, that it was actually rooted in scripture. And it was like, once you learn typology, it's like, oh my gosh, she's like actually everywhere. She's the new Eve. She's the new Ark of the Covenant. She's the new Queen Mother. My goodness. Um, okay, I'll, I'll pay attention. Oh yeah, and by the way, in the book of Revelation, she's the queen of heaven and earth in Revelation chapter 12. Because she not only is, she also represents the church and the new Israel. And so all of that is going into, into Revelation 12. But I digress once again. Anyway, that was a huge pivot point for me. Because I finally, that was my biggest hurdle. So after that was overcome, all my intellect, I, I suppose you could say, was sold. But also my will and my desires, my emotions were also going into this. And so after that, really, I was 100% certain this is the truth. This is the church that Jesus Christ founded that he established. And he wants everyone to come into full communion with and I want to eat his flesh and drink his blood as well. Um, apparently, that's really important. Uh, so, I want to I want to know him. And once again, that foundation of desiring intimacy with Jesus Christ, I was realizing that that's why I'm becoming Catholic. Like I'm, I want to be more intimate, more in union with God. And there's nothing more intimate than enjoying His whole self, uniting with my whole self in the in the Eucharist. <clears throat> and so I became 100%. It was my whole self that was drawn into the Catholic Church, not just my intellect, 
but like I say, my whole self. And at that point, I was like, okay, we're doing this. And in 2015, on my 27th birthday, it was so cool. I actually was confirmed. They validated my baptism. My baptism was valid from um, my first grade baptism. And so that Easter vigil on my birthday, I received the sacrament of confirmation and then the most holy Eucharist. And it has been glory to glory. Um, Man, it was such a profound moment in my life. And two of my best friends who weren't even Catholic came and enjoyed that three or maybe it was actually probably four hour vigil that night. So I really appreciated that. And uh, my parents came as well. And this actually stirred in them some questions, and they kind of wanted to explore. Seeds were planted there for for them. Um, But anyway, actually, after I was confirmed, like, literally, that next week, I actually moved from Grapevine to Houston. And so I ended up going to a parish down here, and that's where I started volunteering and and teaching the youth and also um, doing some teaching, actually, for RCIA. So now I actually do teach on baptism and confirmation and the Eucharist, and I've taught on Mary and the saints several times. So it's kind of a fun and crazy thing that I would be teaching at my parish, on, especially on Mary and the saints, <laughs> since she was truly my biggest selling block. And so I, um, it's, it's kind of funny how the Lord, how the Lord works. And what was cool, too, is I started going to daily Mass and started seeing that as the fulfillment of Acts 2.42, which my uh, discipleship training school, Antioch, was so obsessed with that verse, Acts 2.42, like that they would dedicate themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the prayers and the breaking of the bread. Little did we know that the early Christians, that the breaking of the bread was code for the Eucharist. That's what it means. Because in Luke, he's, they knew him through the breaking of the bread. And so at daily mass, literally, we fall, we go under the apostles' teaching. We're under that apostolic authority, under the successors of the apostles, and then listening to the words of the apostles through the scriptures. And then we're praying together. We're fellowshipping with one another. And we're breaking bread together. We're having the most holy sacrament. And we're doing it every day. And I was just like, Wow. This is awesome. My heart to be part of the early church is now fulfilled. This is so great. And of course, the church has developed and grown over the years. You know, the kingdom of God was like a, you know, it was a mustard seed back then. It develops and grows. But, you know, it doesn't change from that tree to like a, like a squirrel. You know, it still is a tree. It just matures over time and grows. And so, anyway, um, it's been a really cool journey uh, since becoming Catholic. So, um, had another rough time actually in 2016, um, which I won't go into detail with, but that was really stretching for me. I was actually thinking about uh, the priesthood at the time. Uh, since then, it's been readily readily clear to me that I'm not called to the priesthood. And so, um, anyway, that was a difficult time. But my devotion to the Blessed Mother actually grew, and I started praying the Rosary uh, a lot more during that time, which has since become probably my favorite method of prayer. I mean, I it really ignites that imagination that I was kind of given back when I was on that trip to Nepal with Rocky, where I can just now meditate on the whole life of Christ, and especially through the eyes of Mary, who knew him best. And so that's been really powerful. Um, 
and have grown uh, closer with some Catholic friends. And then obviously I still have a ton of friends that aren't Catholic. And so enjoying a lot of fun conversations with them over the years. And those are continuing to this day. And it's just fun. It's just good. And and really growing in my faith. And it's it's been really cool. And like I said, uh, seeds were kind of planted for my parents. And they actually joined RCA in January 2017. And they uh, they took the long track. They actually joined pretty skeptical. At least my mother was more skeptical. She was just kind of going in there to disprove some stuff, I think. Um, but ends up that they both were astonished to find like that they also had a lot of misconceptions. And um, fortunately for you all, I interviewed them. And their interviews are coming up. I'll probably air my mom's interview around Mother's Day. And then I'll probably do my dad's interview around Father's Day or something like that. So you'll get to hear their story uh, from them in that interview format, which is really cool. And so we also dig into some personal details, which is fun. Nonetheless, um, yeah, so they started RCA. They took the long route, 15 months. And my dad's jokes, he's like, you know, at the time he was 69 years old. He's like, you know, it takes a lot to get 69 years of Protestantism out of you. (laughs) Like, yeah, it took a lot to get, you know, 27 years out of me. So, um, but anyway, uh, they did become Catholic last year in 2018 and that was such a joy. Oh my goodness. And, um, being able to share in the same Eucharistic table with them has been just a, a deep pleasure of mine. And so, yeah, um, that's really where I'm at. A couple of, let's see, just to share with you all. A few things have really hit me. I guess one of the biggest surprises is one of the funnest surprises since becoming Catholic has been learning the stories of the saints. And so I've been doing the Liturgy of the Hours, which is this prayer book uh, that, um, like morning and evening prayer, especially. And different days on the church calendar are dedicated to different saints. And so just the church calendar, actually, in and of itself, has been phenomenal. And it really takes you through the whole life of Christ. And and so it kind of has this rhythm to it that is really special. Um, and currently we're in the Easter season, which Lent was 40 days. Easter is actually 50 days and leading up to Pentecost Sunday. So that's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, growing in my knowledge of the stories of the saints has been so inspiring. Uh, oh my goodness. Like some powerful, powerful stories. Uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe. Let's just give a shout out to him. He was an a martyr in Auschwitz. Um, of course, m- most of you all will be familiar with Mother Teresa, who's canonized a saint a few years ago. So Saint Teresa of Calcutta, uh, Saint John Paul II has become one of my favorites. Um, saint Faustina, you know, this past Sunday was Divine Mercy Sunday. Oh my gosh, I highly recommend check out Saint Faustina. Her diary, actually, I read her diary this past year. The most spiritually intense thing I've ever read and actually gave me a lot more confidence in hearing God's voice and knowing how to discern God's voice, which has been hard for me. And so that was really helpful. And truly, uh, I just can't, it's just amazing. So that's, that's one aspect that's amazing. Another teaching of the church um, that I'll probably dive into at a later time in more detail, but this idea of offering your suffering with the suffering of Christ for the salvation of the world. You know, there's that verse in Colossians that is always has always been mysterious to me. Like, 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings, for I complete in my flesh was lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And so it's this principle that we actually get so united with Christ that we can unite even our smallest sufferings, whether it's a sore throat or a cold or cancer or or uh, you know whatever it might be or just a hard circumstance in your life. Okay, offer that up in union with Christ for the salvation of souls. And that whole idea has been life-changing for me, very meaningful. And then one last thing to kind of tie the loop. Um, I mentioned that in third grade, I had quoted to my mom that that verse in Philippians, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. She was like, Eric, don't don't quote that to me again, uh, ever again. Um, You know, no mom wants to hear her son, like, have a death wish, right? And so, um, but that really, I mean... Even now, I'm like, oh, I just want to be a martyr. Like, yes, Lord, do it. I pray for it. I still pray for it. My goodness. Um, but this past summer, I got to go on an eight-day silent retreat. And first of all, I never thought I would do that in a million years either. Uh, there's a theme to my life here in the past few years. Never thought I'd do that. Never thought I'd do that. The Lord just does things, okay? And you just got to go with it. And it's awesome. But anyway, I went on this eight-day silent retreat, and I'm extroverted, and I sometimes spontaneously sing anyway, so I was kind of nervous going into this. I was like, how am I going to prevent myself from spontaneously singing, and how can I not talk this whole time? This is crazy. The only time I could talk was uh, once a day for about 45 minutes, I would talk with my spiritual director, and then also we'd have mass every day, and I could do the responses, but that was it. Even during meals, silent. And as I say before, I am obsessed with Lord of the Rings. So the Lord sometimes uses the Lord of the Rings to speak to me, right? So I had this idea, the spiritual director asked me that first day, like, what is your deepest desire in life? And I said immediately, my deepest desire is just to die and be with Christ. And she was like, okay, well, I think there's something more to that. I was like, okay, well, we'll see. And the Lord started impressing my heart, like, you know, Eric, you know how frustrated you are when people say, then Lord of the Rings, the Eagles could have just taken Sam and Frodo and dumped him to Mount Doom and it could have been over in like a second. And I was like, yeah, that that's that's so stupid because there's no journey. There's no uh, development of a relationship or anything like that. And uh, there's no suffering. There's no story. You know, there's no story if you do do it like that. And he was like, yeah, so don't just wish that you were dead. Like, you know, there's a story to your life and what I'm doing is very profound. And later on the retreat, he would reveal what that is. He also gave me an image of him being the potter and I being the clay and how he's an artist and he just loves not only the final art artwork, but he actually loves the process of molding and forming Christ in me. And so he, I just got this delight that God delights in me right where I am. And loves molding Christ in me. And it's like, okay, you you like the journey. You like the journey. Okay. And then the this was the seventh day of the retreat where I, this revelation just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I got this vision of, uh, once again, Lord of the Rings, where that scene, spoiler, spoiler alert, by the way, <laughs> just in case you haven't seen it. So Frodo just did destroy the ring into the into Mount Doom, into the fiery pits of Mount Doom. And he had been journeying that whole time with Sam. He had spent some time with the other members of the fellowship in the in the beginning, you know, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, 
Marion Pippin, Gandalf. And so he wakes up in Gondor, right? He had just finished his mission. He wakes up in Gondor and he sees Gandalf and they share a grin and a laugh. Merry and Pippin come jumping in on the bed. They're having a good time just like reuniting as friends. Aragorn comes, Gimli comes, Legolas comes. They all smile and they share this profound, you know, uh, just reunion. It's a reunion with friends. But then Sam walks in. And Sam and Frodo look at each other with a look that really surpasses all of the other looks combined as far as intimacy. I mean, that's the look in their eyes that says to one another, Yeah, I know you. I suffered with you. I went on that journey with you. And we love each other as intimate friends. And that's when the Lord reminded me of what I had learned in that discipleship training school of like, you know what? That's actually my deepest desire. It's not just to die and be with Christ. I only want to do that insofar as I can become a deeper friend of Jesus Christ. And that hit me like a ton of bricks last summer. That that is my deepest desire in life. To know, and it's what St. Paul says, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings that I may become like him in his death that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so Jesus was saying to me in that moment, Eric, you see, you don't just want to die and be with me. You want to, you want to be with me to where when you die and you are with me, we share that look in our eyes where it says, I was with you. I fought with you. I suffered with you. We did it together. We suffered together. And that's the point of life. And I was like, whoa, thank you, God. Glory. That's awesome. And so that's the journey that I'm on, this deep friendship with Christ. And I tell you what, I I beg you all to explore the Catholic Church, if nothing else, to explore the most holy Eucharist, which is Jesus Christ. Did you get that? That's Jesus Christ under the appearance of bread and wine. His body, blood, soul, and divinity offered up, given up for you. He's offering it to you now. Just come. Come to the Catholic Church. Why not? I did it. Never thought I'd do it. My gosh. I literally like never thought I would. Never. Never, never, never. Empty religion, right? No. No, not an empty religion. It is the source of the greatest intimacy that is possible with Jesus Christ on this side of heaven. He gives his whole self to you that you might give your whole self to him. And in that union of love, you enter into the union of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that total gift of self, God, who is love, who is total gift, you enter into that. At every Mass, you get to encounter the living God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, the incarnational presence of God, not just the spiritual presence of God, the incarnational presence of God. Wow. So, anyway... uh, (laughs) that was kind of a little bit of a rant there at the end wow Um, but that's my story that's where I'm at Uh, maybe I'll share more details in future episodes Um, I probably left out a lot too but my goodness it's already been so long so uh, you know feel free to send me an email and my heart just burns for the Lord (laughs) and for him to be more loved throughout the world you know and this is why I'm so passionate also about people 
coming into full communion with the Catholic Church because Jesus said, his heart burns for this, by the way. He prayed on the eve of his passion that they would be one, that the world may know that the Father sent him. If you have a heart for evangelism, if you have a heart for the world to see, to see God, to know him, to love him, if you have a heart to see that the Father, that the world would see that the Father sent the Son, then your heart is for Christian unity. Your heart is for one visible church. Okay? And so, come on in, baby. Come on in. The invitation's open. I beg you and I urge you. And it is a journey, though. As you can see with my journey, it took a long time. Like, it, it didn't, it wasn't overnight. And, and, and so there's a lot of stages in the journey to go on and I'm happy to be a resource. You can email me at eric at polycarpsparadigm.com. That's eric at polycarpsparadigm.com. Um, you can follow me on Facebook, you know, whatever it takes, you know, please like you can reach out to me, uh, but especially reach out to your local parish. Just look it up wherever your parish closest to you is and ask questions. Go to the priest. Um, hopefully he's cool. (laughs) Hopefully he's legit. And, um, and yeah, and, and start asking the questions, you know, there's, there's more, there's always more. And all this to say is that the church herself is on a pilgrim journey towards heaven. And we still, even though we encounter Jesus Christ face to face in the Eucharist, it's still veiled right under that appearance of bread and wine. But one day, though we see in a mirror darkly now, we will see God face to face. That is our hope. That is our goal to see God, to know him, to love him, to serve him. And so that's the goal of Polycarp's paradigm is that everyone who listens to this would grow in their love for God and their love for neighbor, that they would grow in their capacity to bring God glory and that we would do this together. And so thank you so much for listening. That's my story. I'm still on the journey. Let's do this thing together. All right. Love you much. Peace. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.